All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. We have a very special guest here today with Marsha Reynolds. Marsha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. So everybody, as you all know, I do a lot of coaching, and I decided that I'm going to pursue getting my master certified coaching credential from the International Coaching Federation, the ICF, and that is a high bar. I know some other people have had it, and I and I've been able to be coached by people with the MCC designation, and it is just a different level of coaching. So I went out to Michael Fow and said, buddy, will you be my mentor coach? Because mm -hmm. I need some work to get ready. And he listened to my coaching and goes, hey, John, this is good. Let me paraphrase. He basically said in a very coach way, John, this is good, but it can be way better, right? We need to get gooder. And he goes, you know, you tend to focus on the problem that your clients have as I'm listening. And you really, if you really want to have transformational coaching, you have to focus on the person. And I asked Michael, well, what do you mean by that? What's the difference? And we had this amazing conversation and he recommended that I read a book. He goes, John, this is going to be required reading for us working together. And it's called Coach the Person, Not the Problem. And it's a guide to reflective inquiry. And reflective inquiry, instead of just this focus on having these brilliant questions and then reflecting the answer to the question back. And uh, Marsha is the author of the book. And I, folks, I read this book. I'm only halfway through it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring this into my next coaching conversation. One of my clients is a CEO of a, about a $600 million company, Marsha. And I got to tell you, the energy, the insights, the outcomes for them was at a completely different level. And all I did was focus on some of the things that you had shared in your book. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And this is a skill. Um, the Air Force has hired us to teach their supervisors, first level supervisors, up to senior managers, coaching as a leadership skill. I, it's absolutely essential. There, oh my, there's so many benefits. And Marsha, you probably have a ton too, but identifying mm -hmm. blind spots giving people, you know, some of that feedback that might feel a little bit, you know, crunchy, but it's that feedback, you know, you need to give somebody, uh, holding people accountable, creating a, a culture of trust and collaboration on your team, the benefits. I mean, we could probably sit here and just talk about the benefits for the whole hour. I personally believe that coaching is one of the most powerful tools that we have as a leader, bar none. I don't think there's anything that is more powerful and with that, guys, here's a little background on uh, Marsha, master certified coach. So huge, mad respect there. President, you've been coaching for 27 years, Marsha just told me, mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. I'm only eight years into this journey. Mm -hmm. President of Co-Visioning, it's a leadership training and coaching firm, doctoral degree in organizational psychology, master's degree in education and communications. You worked at the ICF as the global president, which is pretty awesome. Uh, you've also been hired by organizations to teach coaching skills all over the world, Europe, Africa, Asia, China, North America, and you've also authored five books. So in addition to Coach the Person, Not the Problem, you have Outsmart Your Brain, Wander Woman, and The Discomfort Zone. But we're going to dig in today and really talk about the power of focusing on the person and the problem. And whether you're a coach you're a business leader, you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. I got to tell you, just coaching has transformed my relationship with all three of my kids, by the way. Mm -hmm. Today, they are all my best friend. But with that, 
Marcia, as you made this journey, when was it for you that you realized that there is a difference between inquiry and asking questions that led to some of the work that you're doing now? Well, you know, being that I was a part of creating the original ICF competencies, I can say we never, ever intended that coaching just be about the questions. Somehow that kind of like spread and people would thought question asking and coaching were synonymous. Reflection, noticing what's going on with the person, sharing what you see, what you hear, what you're sensing was always a part of coaching, but it wasn't well defined. And so my books are all based on, I do a lot of mentoring on what's missing in the coaching world. What is it, you know, how coaches have gotten to these habits that are not, it's not that effective. So like discomfort zone came out of that. They seem to be uncomfortable with discomfort. And then when I was, I always say, I'm not gonna write another book. <laughs> but then I, in my mentoring, I noticed the same thing you were saying, that they were always focusing on the external problem and solving the problem and forgetting that the person in front of them is really smart, has a lot of good experience, and is just seeing things in a very narrow way. If we can expand how they see it, they'll see it on their own. I also know from my academics <laughs> that in order to truly transform the brain and rewire, it's got to be a discovery process, an aha moment. You can't just tell people to change and expect them to change because they won't. <laughs> and so, you know, if we don't go in and help them to understand how they're seeing things now and that there's other possibilities, it's not going to change their brain, change their mind, and eventually not change their behavior. So it was both a noticing that what coaches weren't doing and understanding from all my research what it really takes to change minds and behavior and said, you know, I've got to go out and reinforce this whole thing. Now, I want to share with you, John, that when I sat down to write the book, I've been calling it reflective inquiry for years. So I said, well, I'm going to have to go back and see where that came from. I went back into my doctoral work. It wasn't there. You know, I kept looking at, you know, I looked into therapy, wasn't there. And it was my second master's in the late 1980s was in adult learning. And that's where I found that this guy, John Dewey, wrote a book in 1910 called How We Think. He was an educational reformer and he wanted teachers to have students, young people, to think more broadly for themselves. And so he defined reflective inquiry. And I'm like, well, of course, that's where I learned it. And I have been using it because that's the intention. So you said you use it with your kids, you know, if for any age to help people see beyond their own stories to what else is possible is the most powerful way of shifting and helping people grow that we have. Well, I love that because, you know, I get to work with a lot of people that are, you know, either managers up through executives and kind of the my observation is that most people in leadership, because they feel it's more efficient when somebody comes in and they do have a problem or yeah. a conflict with a coworker, or they don't know what to do next, mm -hmm. they tend to be directive. I'm going to just tell you what to do 
or how to do it. And maybe I'll ask a few questions to maybe clarify that you understand what I said. <laughs> then the next thing is shifting toward maybe asking questions to understand, you know, what they're thinking and their thought processes are. And typically though, the questions are, you're trying to form these questions to seek answers. Yeah. And what I love what you said is shifting then now into a deeper level of inquiry because mm -hmm. inquiry is there to provoke insight. Yeah. And if <laughs> I can get to that place, what does that look like as far as why this, you know, you talked about brain science and how this actually starts to create transformation, which I see as like permanent change, which is we want to mm -hmm. change in a permanent way. How does that tie into actually what it does to the, you know, for, I should say, for the person that we're coaching yeah. when we bring that in? Well, John, actually in the discomfort zone, there's a whole chapter on the five leadership myths around coaching. And the first one was like, well, I don't have time to sit there and coach them. I just want to tell them what to do, you know, or they come to me because I'm the leader and I need to know. And I always ask my leaders, so you're telling me you don't have time to really just listen to them but you have all the time in the world to have them continually come to you every day for answers because they can't think for themselves. And it's like, wouldn't you like to free up some of that time to do your leadership work? So it's just an excuse. Like, you know, it's a myth. It's a myth. And when you think about leadership, don't we want people to think more broadly for themselves? And the higher you go up as a leader, you've got to develop other leaders, you know, be if you're a leader of leaders. And so isn't helping them expand their thinking part of your responsibility, not just meeting your KPIs and making sure everybody knows what goals they have and giving them feedback and telling them what they what's wrong with them, <laughs> but to develop their thinking so they see more possibilities on their own the next time, that should be a major leadership responsibility. Yes, it should be. And think about this, when you are truly working at developing people and they feel valued and they feel mm -hmm. heard and they feel mm -hmm. challenged and they feel mentored, yeah. Marcia, one of my clients, uh, we've been working for a while and one of their new employees, he'd been there six months, he got a call from a recruiter offering him $20,000 a year more. Mm -hmm. And he started, this is you know entry-level salary, so this is huge. Mm -hmm. And think about this, he here's a benefit no. to an organization. This is why you need <laughs> to make the time because this employee, instead of taking that meeting to go see mm -hmm. if he could go get hired for a $20,000 pay raise, approached his boss who was the CFO and says, I don't wanna leave, but I just got this offer. Can we have a conversation about, and they said, listen, we can't match that. Mm -hmm. We don't have the funds, but we can do 15 of the 20,000, give you a promotion, more responsibility. And he happily said, absolutely. So think about that. You have a culture where coaching is part of it, where you have people that are willing to stay because yeah. money is, I think, one of the lowest motivators we have. People oh, want absolutely. To, yeah. It lasts like, you know, a few days and that's about it. Now, you know, the, what you said that when people feel seen, um, heard, and that they're significant to the organization, that their contribution is important that's when they want to stay. That's the leader they want to work for and the team they want to be with. You know, in my last company, I ran the training department for a semiconductor firm that was mid-size, 
but we were down the street from Intel and the other street, it was like Motorola and they were offering the engineers always, you know, trying to steal them, giving them money. And sometimes they would go, but most of the time they came back. They said it was an awful culture. I feel like family in this company, you know, that I'm valued as if we're all together in this family. And they came back to us and the same thing. We couldn't match the salaries, but um, the value of how I feel being here, you know, we can't put a dollar sign on it, but it's huge. It's huge. It is huge. Now, you know, I'd like to start out because there's a lot of people, you know, that are coaches that are listening, but there's also a lot of people in business, they're managers. So Marcia, could you start and just share, hey, what is a coaching conversation? Well, you know, the interesting thing, John, when I teach leaders how to coach, I always tell them, I'm not going to make you a coach, you know, in a, in a two day workshop or however long that is, but I can teach you a coaching approach. So there's a difference between like what you're going through with certification and being a coach and going through extensive training and a leader taking being able to use a coaching approach to the conversation. You know, and if I were to put it into steps, I like to use the word receive instead of listen, because listen sounds like it's something I do to you. You know, and it comes back to what you're saying. I'm just listening for what you're thinking so I can then tell you what to do. <laughs> you know, but if I yes, I can very much relate to that one, right? Like, I can't wait for you to stop talking because I want to jump in with the exactly. next thought or direction in my brain. And we do that in all of our conversations. Yeah, there's a difference between being silent while you're waiting for your turn <laughs> and being silent and being present. So what does receive look like versus listening? Okay, well, when I teach, I talk about, um, you know, our nervous system is receiving information all the time. And the nervous system is fully connected, but includes three major processing centers that have memory as well as idea processing, but they don't have language. And that's not just your head brain, but your heart and your gut. So, John, you know, on my bio, it says I've worked in 43 different countries. Every country I've worked in, I don't care what language, they all have a saying about, I should have listened to my heart or I should have trusted my gut. That's because we're taking in information in our heart and gut constantly, processing it and then sending it to the brain because we have to translate it into language. But what happens is, is we, you know, most people are neck ups. We're taught only to pay attention to what we hear and what we think without recognizing that we're pulling in information into our bodies. And what's interesting is that if I'm out of my head and not analyzing, I'm just receiving, the person that I'm with actually, we create psychological safety like within seconds. And there's a lot of research in the therapy world that uh, supports this, you know, and we want to create that safety so people will open up to us and take risks. So the first step is to listen with your nervous system to, to take in what they're giving you. And before you start thinking about it, just offer it back. So I appreciate, I don't judge, I appreciate this is the way they see it right now. This is what they think is going on. 
And I just then offer it back. So I hear you're saying this, you know, and so you, you said you think this is the motivation of this other team that's getting in the way. So are you sure about that? The question then is a part follows on to the reflection. But for me to fully receive it without judgment, I receive it with my body and I offer it back. You know, so I don't analyze it. I can tell when a coach is in their head <laughs> and I'll say, you're in your head, get out of there. So what I teach leaders is to receive and appreciate and then summarize, just summarize what you hear them saying and what you notice in their expression and offer it to them as an invitation to see what they think about it. You know, and then you can ask a question as a follow on to the reflection. It's amazing when I teach leaders this and they're like, well, we can't do that. We don't have time, blah, blah, blah. And then they sit down and just do those four steps. They always come back and go, wow. Just like you said, when you started applying the stuff from the book, it's like, wow, just the conversation was just so different, so different. And we were able to get to solutions and get to a place so quickly, much more quickly than I ever had before when I just told them what to do and then they went out and did something else. <laughs> yeah, and you did something there I want to bring up, you know, coaching, like you said, right, a lot of us, our understanding is it's question-based and they need to be open-ended questions. And what you did there is you said, well, is that really true that that's the team's yeah. motivation, which is I could answer that yes or no. That's a closed ended questions. Yeah. And you talk a lot about the mix between the two and it can yeah. really actually open up a conversation in a powerful way. I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts on that. Well, you know, again, there was never an intention with the ICF that it would only be open questions. That's just, again, another thing that was created by people that we always said the balance must be more open than closed. But in clarifying how the person sees something and what they really want instead of what they have now, I will often use closed questions just to make sure we see the same thing, that I'm understanding how you see this and, and I clearly see um, what you want to create without assuming that I already know. And so when I summarize back to you, I want to confirm, is that the way you see it? And I have to tell you, John, I rarely ever get just a yes or no to mm. my close question. It always, because we're exploring the clarifying the situation, how they see it and what they want, that the close question actually makes them go deeper into their thinking. You know, so if I reflect back to them and it's an invitation is that what how you see this oftentimes just hearing oh well you know what that sounds kind of crazy doesn't it and they'll come back with a different perception of the situation instead of just a, a yes or no you know so once we clarify what they really want instead of what they have and how they see the situation right now then I'll open it up to more open questions, exploring, you know, other ways of seeing things. What are the beliefs that are keeping them stuck? Um, you know, their the assumptions about the future that they're making up, their shoulds getting in the way of their dreams, things like that. But only after we clarify what do they really want and how they see the situation right now. 
So it is a combination of open and closed. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Clarifying what they want and how they see the situation mm -hmm. versus immediately jumping into, oh, what do you think you should do about it? Yeah. Well, you know, and I, and I always say that one of the biggest mistakes that coaches and leaders makes is assuming that I see how they think without exploring it. Can you, you know? say that and again? Assuming that I know how they think, mm. you know, so they come in with a problem and I immediately assume that this is the way they see it. And this is how, you know, they're identifying the problem. And that's crazy because we all have different experiences. And I don't care if you're coaching the person who's lived next door to you all your life. Okay. How they frame a situation is going to be different than you. You know, and so for me to assume that I understand how you see it without exploring it with you is insulting, actually. It's truly insulting. And people then don't feel heard and valued. You know, it's like, okay, fine, that's the way you see it. And I'll just accept that, you know, because I don't seem to have a choice. You know, and I say that about the next door uh, because I've been coaching these women in this small community up in New York and they have lived next door to each other and, and they make these assumptions and they annoy each other by making the assumptions because we cannot ever assume that we see what they see. So that's gonna be a mindset shift for people, especially if I have, let's say a longer work relationship, I've worked with you mm -hmm. even one, two, three, yeah. four years. Right. And we also have our, you know, the own narrative that's happening in our head, like, oh, yeah, Marsha, I've had that same problem. I know mm -hmm. how I felt. I've dealt mm -hmm. with that same person that's bothering you. Yeah. What is work when you're working with coaches, mm -hmm. whether, you know, they're actually coaching or they're leaders that are coaching mm -hmm. and they do have, they're bringing all of this stuff into a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. What do we do to kind of put that aside so we can really focus on the other person mm -hmm. and be in a place of curiosity, mm -hmm. if that makes sense? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is, what you just said that I need to stay in a place of, of being curious. So we open our mind with curiosity. You know, you let the thoughts go and you just say, I'm curious. But then we also care enough about the person in front of us. You know, I mean, one of the things that always bothered me about, you know, promoting people into leadership, especially I worked for tech companies for 11 years, is they would promote people in leadership that didn't even like people. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, you know, that should be the number one requirement that they like people. So when you're coaching someone, if you're sitting there in judgment of them, you're disappointed, you don't like them, you can't coach them. You're not going to stay in coaching. So I have to be compassionately curious. Mm -hmm. And the practice is to notice when I'm now going into my head and thinking about what you're saying, then you're missing it. You're going to miss the key thing. You know, and so can I practice just receiving and offering back without analyzing? It is a mindset shift, John. I know that. And it requires, uh, you know, practice makes competent. It doesn't make perfect. We're never going to be perfect at this, but it makes you competent. <laughs> and we just get better at receiving and inviting people to think about what we're reflecting on. But you got to notice, you got to know when you're back in your head and let it go and let it go and not think, I already know. I wrote a blog post on the, the annoying habit of knowing, of already knowing, you know, 
It's like, I already know the answer. I already know what you're going through. That's annoying. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Marcia, some people think that's their superpower. And they, they need to rethink that. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that it does come back to the question that leaders often have is, so what, what value am I? <laughs> I was promoted because I know stuff and now you're telling me not to know, you know, and I'm like, well, let's take a look. You know, when I get a client that's having trouble with their leadership style or communications, I don't talk, focus on what they do. I always ask them first question, define leadership for me, define leadership. You know, let's take a look at that. And what do you think the people that work for you, how would they define it? And it's often there's your disconnect right there, you know, because they want a leader, especially now with the generations coming in, they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be valued. Okay. They don't necessarily want to be talked down to and told what to do, you know, so it might've been, that's what we used to think. Okay. But that's, you know, the value I give is that I trust you and I believe in you and let's explore this together instead of me telling you what to do. Leadership has shifted. It started to shift a long time ago, but I want to say here in the United States, we've been some of the slowest of cultures mm -hmm. to accept that a leader isn't, you come to me and I tell you what to do, you know? So it's now, you know, with the whole pandemic and people not going back to work and it's like, I don't want to work for you. They're finally getting that they have to change that. They have to learn how to listen and have empathy. <laughs> that these are now up on the leadership list. The companies have to value that too. And, not, and yeah. it has to be a part of a performance evaluation. Now, I'm curious. So when you come across, let's say, a leader and you ask those questions, which, I, which are beautiful because they create such... I think insight for you into how they're viewing the situation and the landscape. Yeah. But when it's clear that their view, let's say of leadership is so out of alignment with what their team needs, which might be why they're struggling. Yeah. Where do you go from there? Well, you know, this is why we have to first identify what is it you want instead of what you have, mm. because we keep coming back to that. So let me give you an example. So for 10 years, I taught uh, with a team uh, leadership for Maersk, you know, the shipping company. And um, what was brilliant about it was we spent two out of four days really on coaching, especially because I taught the leader of leaders program. They actually put into their performance review that you have KPIs of work that must be done, but you always had to have two leadership KPIs as well. And it would affect your raise and your promotion. And it was very much coaching based. So there was a requirement in the culture that we shift because they said, we won't survive this market um, if we don't change our, our leadership mindset. Okay, so I got a call. This one woman um, needed coaching. <laughs> and she knew me because she'd been through my leadership class. So she trusted me. And her boss called me and we had a three-way conversation and he had told her, until your peers see you as a leader, I will not promote you, okay? Because you're part of a leadership team and they don't like you, <laughs> okay? So we started coaching, but here's the rest of the story. 
she had worked for Maersk for a number of years. She was Dutch and she had been transferred as a part of her leadership development to be a leader in Panama, working with a Latin American leadership team. Okay, so do you see the conflict already? Dutch culture, Latin American culture, okay? No wonder they didn't like her. And yet the people who worked for her did. And I said, um, so define leadership for me in terms of the company, the culture. And she said, well, leadership is about efficiency and getting things done and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, well, how do you think the people, your peers, who you have to make like you, <laughs> because you have a goal you wanna be promoted. How do you think they see leadership? She says, oh, they see it as relationships and, and eating together. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, okay. I, I hear a little bit of disdain in that. In her? Yeah. Well, there was, and it took a number of sessions, but I kept coming back to, I understand what you think is important, and you've told me what they think is important. Are you willing, and there's the question, are you willing to shift so you can meet your goal of being promoted? Yeah, I'm willing to shift but they should get this and they should get that. And, you know, I'm like, I don't hear willingness. I don't hear willingness, you know? And so it was about the third session. She finally said, okay, I get it. <laughs> that if I don't start making this shift, I'm not going to get my goal met. Well, the thing was, I said, so what is the first thing that you want to work on in order to make this shift? She said, well, you know what? I don't think they trust me. It's not that they don't like me but they don't trust me and I have to rebuild trust first. And I said, okay, so let's take a look at that. How are you gonna do that? And she said, well, they like to share meals and meet on a personal basis. So I'm gonna start setting up lunches with each of them and ask them, what is it gonna take for me to be with you in a different way? And we finally had that breakthrough, but it was based on the goal she wanted. So, you know, we start with willingness. Are you willing to make the shift? But there must be a goal that they want, a desired outcome for them to sustain the willingness. And that's often what leaders miss is they go into a conversation with what they want the person to do and aren't curious about what is it the person wants that if it's a big enough goal, they will align the change to the goal. You know, I know I've gone off on this journey with you, but that's the thing, you know, when you're with a resistant leader, what's the goal that they want that they don't have now? You know, so you have a leader that's bossy with their team. So what is it that you want? Well, I want my team to listen to me and do what I say. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, so you want them to do things differently. What might that look like? What do you think they will take for them to attempt to try to do things differently? So we keep focusing on the goal, not the behavior. You know, they come up then with the behavioral change that's needed in order to get their goal, if they really want that goal. So yeah, I've had a lot of tough leaders you know, I bet you have right. Think they're right. And it's like, okay, fine, but you're not getting your goal met. <laughs> well, and I, I would love for you to share a little bit more. Something I really got out of the book is how to listen 
or receive in a way that I'm actually uh, replaying things back in a way that are helpful. Um, like what you said, like, hey, I'm not hearing willingness, right? Mm -hmm. That was you taking what she's saying and succinctly bringing it back to her to, to be able to observe what, you know, how it's coming across. Yeah. That's a powerful tool that I think it's underused quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just the words. I can summarize the words, the key words. You know, I want this, but, you know, whatever comes after the but is their fear or their resistance. Mm. But I'm also looking at and, and taking in their emotions. So hesitation, resistance, these are visceral. You know, so when I say, um, okay, I hear what you're saying that you want to change, but you're saying it in a way that indicates, you know, like you said, you know, in their tone, like, yeah, but I'm judging it. They, you know, they're crazy. They don't know the main thing. They don't have to tell me that. I can hear it in their tone. So when I say, but I'm not sensing that you're really willing to do this, that you're still judging them based on the way that you're defining them. And who they are and what they think. So it's also about noticing emotions and emotional shifts that are tied to the words and offering that back. What do you think about that? And I could be wrong. So the word offer, John, is really important. Well, you know what? You're bringing up such an important point because uh, this is what I learned reading the book. It's not just about saying back what people said. Mm -hmm. it's drawing an inference, but putting it out there in a way that they can receive it, that it's not a judgment. Yeah. That, you know what, this is what I'm hearing. So let me just put it out there for consideration. Absolutely. Because they might be like, no, that's not quite it, John. Um, but yeah, this brings to mind that, you know what, a different element of it. So how Absolutely. do you, you know, make me draw that inference? You're looking at their body language, you're hearing their yeah tone of voice, their eye roll as they say, yeah, I guess I'll do this. You're like, okay, well, that's not going to work out very well. No, no, uh, no. But just what you did, I would say, okay, so you looked up and you rolled your eyes as you said that. <laughs> so my sense is you don't really want to do this and you won't commit. What do you think? Okay. So again, and it's a close question, but it's an invitation. You know, or a time when I was um, coaching a leader who was going to have a difficult conversation where he had to demote somebody. And I always look for shifts. All of a sudden, he looked down to the ground and he muttered something under his voice. And he just, there was just a, almost, you know, to me, it was a sadness. I said, yeah, I'm not sure what you said. You said something about her being the one, but you sounded sad. And he paused and he, he said, it's not sadness, I'm embarrassed. I think I promoted her too soon and it's sort of my fault. <laughs> and I said, okay, so how is that gonna change your conversation with her? And it did, it shifted the entire conversation to how can he take responsibility and maybe help her develop into being a leader. And, you know, but it was just based on me noticing that he looked down and he got quiet and I offered, it sounded sad and I was wrong. And that was great because it took him to another place. So I always tell my coaches, I'm like, oh, be wrong. <laughs> you know, they'll tell you what's right. You know, it almost helps the conversation to be wrong in your reflection. <laughs> well, you know, that in that place when you're, I mean, real time when you're with somebody 
and you have this immediacy of basically sharing what's coming across. Like, hey, you rolled your eyes, you looked down. I'll never forget, we had somebody on our team, Marsha, and they wanted us to fund an initiative for them. They thought it was going to be huge for the company. And all of our updates at our team meetings were fantastic. And then uh, it was about a month into it. And, you know, it was her turn to share. And as she shared, all the words were really positive. But as she talked, she kind of got quieter and she started talking. And what I said in the moment was I said, you know, Daisy, as you were sharing, it just felt like you were shrinking. You know, mm -hmm. what's going on there with you? Excellent. Uh -huh. And oh, my gosh, she got emotional because mm -hmm. she was so concerned about, you know, adding value to the team and doing something because yeah. we'd funded this, her idea yeah. to do something. And she didn't want to admit basically that what she was realizing was it's not going to work. And first of all, that was also good feedback for me is how mm -hmm. did I create as a leader, a dynamic where she wouldn't have come to me earlier. Yeah. And I honestly, after this conversation, mm -hmm. I went and apologized to her because mm. I was like, I want you to make sure that you could have helped us earlier. But in that conversation, yeah. she came out of her shell and said, well, you know what, this isn't going to work. But if we do this, a whole shift in our yeah. focus, I think this could work. And actually it worked out mm -hmm. phenomenally. Yeah. But you know what, learning how to share what you are noticing and feeling yeah. in the moment can be yeah. incredibly transformational to the person that's across from you. Absolutely. And what you just said, um, you know, it's not necessarily a blind spot because a blind spot is something we can't see. It's often what we don't want to face. And by you offering it back, it puts it in their face and they're like, yeah, that's the truth, you know, that I didn't want to admit to, you know, so like um, in the Jahari window, there's the facade as well as the blind spot. The facade is what I know to be true, but I'm not going to face it. <laughs> And when we offer back what we hear, what we notice, and we're curious, it opens up that box for them to talk about what has been real all along, but they didn't want to face. But the other thing I want to acknowledge to you is in order to do that, they have to feel safe with you, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what you were also creating and what you recognized that she may not have been felt safe before to come to you with, I have a concern. And that's a big problem with leadership as well, is people say, well, I will be judged by my leader. If I say I have a concern, I'm not sure how this will work. They'll see me as negative. You know, they don't want to hear it. And then companies make mistakes. Leaders make mistakes and companies fail. <laughs> well, and you know, like for me, like I, if you would have asked me before that conversation, I would have told you, no, we have like 10 out of 10 uh, trust on our team. Mm -hmm. So my relationship with certain people on the team, it was a blind spot. You're talking about the Jahari window it was that place that I was unaware of. Yeah. So when you notice through maybe mm -hmm. people, you know, what they're sharing, how they're sharing it, especially mm -hmm. if you have interactions with other people on the mm -hmm. team and you're like, oh my goodness, John, this might be a really big blind spot for John. How do you coach into an area of a blind spot? Well, you know, an interesting thing, John, part of my contracting with le uh, leaders is that I always do a live 360 at the very beginning where I talk to their boss, I talk to some of their peers, some of their direct reports, and then I put it into a summary. 
report. And um, how many times would they come to me and they have, here's what I want to develop. And then when I talk to everyone else, they're like, no, that guy does that fine. This is what they need to do. You know, so twice this happened really significantly. The first one was the guy really was an expert on his leadership team, you know, well-known expert in the state on moving water and in Arizona, that's a big deal, you know, and so he saw his role as delivering expertise, but everyone else was saying he's a part of a team where we're supposed to come up with solutions together, not just listen to him, and he's not doing that. You know, and so when I gave him the feedback, he says, well, I know who said that. And I said, no, everyone said that. Everyone. And he goes, oh, and it was the first time he accepted. So there is a moment, you know, of giving feedback at the beginning and then you open it to coaching. So uh, here's what's going on. Are you willing to make this change in order to get what you want? He wanted to be seen as a leader, and they were not seeing that. They only saw him as an expert. There's a difference between expert and leader. So that was huge. That was huge. You know, and the second scenario was somebody who, again, he thought he needed to be one thing, and everyone else was saying, no, he's got that down. We want him to develop this. And his boss didn't even see that, you know? And so we changed his goals right up front in order for him to be more successful in the new role that he had. So sometimes it is a matter of getting perspective from the people they work with in order to give them the feedback to break through into the blind spot. It depends on how strong that blind spot is. Can I do it through coaching? Sometimes, you know, just by reflection and being really curious. So, you know, what brings you to that belief? But sometimes it really is a matter of sharing how other people around you see you. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'm just thinking about when you give the feedback and the leader going, I know who said that. Now, what that implies to me is, you know what, there's going to be blowback. Yeah. Well, yeah. There could be. There could be. I was actually working with a team recently. We were talking about, hey, we need to make some changes in the culture. How does this team want to operate? And one of the things that they put up there was, We want to be able to talk about our opinions and share feedback without blowback. Yeah. And the three senior leaders were in the room as we did this. Mm -hmm. And it gives an opportunity to come and say, hey, you know what? What did that mean to you when your team shared that as part of the feedback? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a place of just curiosity. That that, that ruins trust, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It ruins trust. Oh, it sure does. Mm -hmm. Well, my goodness. Okay. So your website, guys, uh, folks out there, whether you're in business and you want, you know, to bring coaching into your culture as a powerful tool into what you're trying to do as a leader. If you're a coach, uh, Marsha's website is covisioning.com, covisioning.com. All of her books are on Amazon, probably everywhere where you can buy books. Just type Mm -hmm. in Marcia Reynolds. It's M-A-R-C-I-A, Marcia Reynolds. Mm -hmm. And Marcia, any other places for people to connect with you, find you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, (laughs) you know, and I post everything there. I think I'm most active there. And people ask me questions and I'll interact. So other than my website, I would say that's the other place to find me. That's awesome. Just, you know, as we wrap up, Marcia, just any thoughts that you'd like to leave to everybody who's been listening to the conversation? 
Well, you know, most leaders think they have to do things perfectly, really well. And I always say that the people that you work with, they want you to be present more than they need you to be perfect. Mm. You don't have to be the perfect coach. You just have to be with them and listen and show you care. That's the most important thing. So be present, not perfect. Be present, not perfect. Man, that gives a lot of us permission to just be human and yeah. not have to have all the answers and right. trust that our people are absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. And that as a group, and I love what you said before too, if you know what, if you are, I used to operate from the place of having to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. You know what I found is because then I became the shell answer man and everybody had to come yeah. to me. <laughs> And I right. never got any time off, including my vacation. I was miserable, mm -hmm. but I didn't know what to do to change the dynamic. I didn't have any of these tools. So if anybody else out there is listening can relate to that, Marsha just gave you the answer. And if you're already making some of these changes, trust me, um, coaching is not hard. And it doesn't take years to master. There's basic things that you can bring into your conversations mm -hmm. right now that are going to enrich in the conversations, the relationships, the trust mm -hmm. and the outcome, right? You don't need to spend 10 years seeking a, a master level. Trust mm -hmm. me, there's little things that you can do that will just be transformational. Wouldn't you agree, Marsha? Absolutely. You know, when I first started coaching, um, coach training in my very first class, um, Thomas Leonard, who who's actually started uh, the International Coach Federation, um, he said, you have to go coach in order to be a good coach. And we're like, well, how can we coach? We don't have any skills. And he said, just go love them. And I'll never forget that because, you know, I look back at my first year and I don't know what I was doing, but because I was present and I cared, they still gave me testimonials as like, thank you, you know, I... I felt so safe with you. I was able to explore things and move forward. You know, so yeah, just go love them. <laughs> wow, what a way to end. Just go love people, right? <laughs> and that is awesome. Marcia, thank you for what you do um, in this world. You're a gift. And I just pray that God just blesses everything that you're doing because thank this you. is, coaching is so powerful. And in this world that we have right now, all these disruptions wow. that we see, especially in society, I personally believe that coaching is right at the heart of bringing back unity and focusing on relationships and those things that we really need to heal, move forward and, and reconnect good through, you know, the use of our life. Absolutely. I totally agree with you, John. Thank you for your good work. Yeah. Thank you, too. All right. Keep knocking alive, my friend. <laughs>